With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Wise men follow him. They rose again. Wise men follow him. Welcome to the Northern Maine Landman Show on the Constitutional Radio Network, the Conscience of Maine. Broadcast in Maine today on WXME, 780 AM in Monticello, 1700 AM in Lewiston, 88.1 FM in Westbrook and Orono, 96.5 FM in Bangor and Brewer, Maine. You're hearing this on May 21st, 2016. Beautiful day. Mostly sunny, high near 77, west wind 7 to 9 miles an hour. Saturday night, mostly cloudy with a low around 51, south wind 6 to 9 miles an hour. Sunday, chance of showers after 10 a.m., cloudy with a high near 65, light and variable wind becoming southeast around 6 miles per hour in the morning. Chance of precipitation, 40%. Sunday night, Mostly cloudy with a low around 48. Northwest, north, excuse me, northeast wind around 8 miles an hour. Monday, mostly sunny with a high near 71. Northeast wind around 8 miles an hour. Tuesday's the bad day in, in the coming week. It's supposed to be a lot of rain, uh, heavy rain in, in places and not much rain in others. Uh, windy. Cold front's going to come through around 4 o'clock in the afternoon depending on where you are. And there's going to be thunder showers, some pretty heavy thunder showers. Now, these are not the thunder showers that we get in the middle of the summer. They go ballooning up to, you know, 40,000 feet in the air, which is eight miles up. These are little concentrated, small, vigorous thunder showers. We had one last Sunday. came through uh, northern Penobscot County, and uh, the sky got dark, and the rolling clouds were just, there were roll clouds coming in ahead of it. As a pilot, never fly into a roll cloud. Roll clouds are what tornadoes come from, and uh, you just don't want to do that. So uh, we had roll clouds, and then we had thunder and lightning and downpours and sleet, and hail, uh, you know, when sleet gets above a certain size, you start calling it hail. And uh, it covered the ground in Carroll, in Prentice, Webster. And uh, it was a vigorous little storm. lasted about 15 minutes. Clouds opened up and blue sky and sunshine. Those tops of those spring thunder showers probably don't go above 20,000 feet very often. 
which is still four miles up, but not like the great big anvil head classic thunder boomers. These are more like uh, <clears throat> unstable squall lines coming through. Okay. Just remember, Tuesday is not a good day to paint the house. Gas is uh, $2.18 a gallon in Kittery. That's up four cents. But in Fort Kent, it's two fifty one, down seven cents. Diesel is a dollar ninety nine in Arundel, at two stations, the same two stations as last week. A little little gas war going there. Diesel is two sixty four, in New Gloucester. Now, a dollar ninety nine is essentially twenty cents a gallon less than two eighteen. Diesel is demand for diesel is down. And I've mentioned the reason for that several times. And the cub reporters that look at press releases and and have those press releases printed uh, don't look at the world on a very large scale. They all get all excited about a story and they'll They'll print this story, and and then very little follow-up. They don't look at trends. They're so young, they don't experience, haven't experienced trends yet, and they haven't seen economic cycles come and go. And that's okay. They're kids. You can't expect much more from children. You know, the children's springtime. The leaves are coming out, and the grass is getting green, and children don't think about winter. They haven't had very many winters. So, right now, the reason that diesel is lower than is lower priced than gas is twofold. One is an ordinary thing. In the springtime, the price of gas goes up because it's more expensive to make. They have to put in more additives, more anti-knock additives. You can't use lead anymore, which is highly efficient and good for engines. They have to put the contaminant alcohol in there and gas pump year-round says may contain up to 10 percent ethanol well in the winter time they cut back on ethanol because vehicles are harder to start the more ethanol you have in there the more difficult it is to start the vehicle and the less efficient it is and when you have more more ethanol now they're talking about going to 15 percent ethanol well, long-term warranties, uh, a lot of car companies are saying that, you know, they can tolerate. Their vehicles are designed for up to 10% ethanol. But your warranty is not going to be any good if you burn 15% ethanol. So that's going to get sorted out for politicians. Actually, some politicians, the environmental politicians are a minority. And the average politician is trying to serve his constituents and get things done, get the roads plowed and grade the roads, those roads that are dirt, and fix the potholes. And every now and then, this time of year, they're out and they're putting a skinny coat of tar on the, on the roads for the tourist season. It uh, masquerades the cracks and the potholes underneath, but 
those of us that live here realize that that crack that they painted over, essentially with with uh, top coat, is going to open right up in the fall when the weather gets cool, and the crack is going to be in the same place it was last year. I've lived in the same house for 33 years, and there are cracks in the road that open up every year. And they'll they'll put a skinny coat tire on it from time to time. That does cover up the the after effects of of freezing. But when you've got a crack that goes down six inches in the pavement and you put a skinny coat of about three-eighths of an inch of top dressing on there, that crack is still there. They just hit it while the tourists were here. So that crack is going to be there in the future, same place. Just like on the dirt roads, the towns are getting getting around and and they're <clears throat> grading the dirt roads. There's enough moisture has come out of the ground now and the frost is gone that they can grade the road efficiently and not have to do it again in two weeks. So people that are anxious to have that done because the roads are rutted up from mud time and they'll the roads are all going to be smoothed up for a little while, and then, and then when it dries out, you can be complaining about the dust. Nothing you can do. Town can't do anything about the dust. That's has that's uh, rainfall, and that's it. Okay. Now, I mentioned the the gasoline and the fuel prices. The reason diesel is down below gas is lack of demand. I got a few hard numbers. The we are in a recession, and the freight business knows that. Eventually, they're going to have to start talk, talking about it on on Bloomberg Radio and Bloomberg Business Network and the Fox Business Network, and they all know it, but. The leaders, the man behind the curtain, the man behind the mirror, knows this, but they don't want to get the, the voters all stirred up. They want to keep things stable. The progressives don't want the the voters to get too riled up. The progressives in both parties. And the question is, you're going to vote for progressive A or you're going to vote for progressive B? this fall. Most people are going to take a deep breath and swallow hard and mark their ballot and walk out of there dissatisfied. In our town, we're in small country town, old-fashioned. A lot of elders in town. Our state of Maine is, is the oldest state because people can't sell their house here and move down to North Carolina or Pennsylvania, most people, and buy anything. I just did a deal. 92-year-old woman bought a house. She got a 30-year mortgage. And the bank is real happy with that. I mean, it's, they're happy to, to have their money coming in on her mortgage payments. But, you know, she's not going to pay off that mortgage. But the bank feels that that uh, 
that house will retain its value. And when that house changes hands in the next few years, whoever buys it is going to pay off the old mortgage and open a new mortgage. So the person that inherits the house is going to have a mortgage sitting there. And he'll go to the bank, or she'll go to the bank or whatever, and they will issue a new mortgage, depending on what the interest rate is that day. Now, this lady has got an excellent interest rate. I don't know what interest rates are going to do. They're the lowest they've been in decades right now. If you can afford to buy a house, this is a good time to do it. And banks want to loan money. That's, once again, supply and demand. There aren't a lot of people looking to buy houses right now, so the banks are anxious to loan money. And when they compete to loan money, compete with each other, they they, uh, lower their interest rates enough that people will use their bank instead of the other bank. So that's that's what we got as far as the mortgage industry goes. But it's interesting to watch them. They've got a heck of a lot of homes in the state of Maine that are under foreclosure. The bank owns the house. And I've mentioned before a few times that Billy and Susie are still in the house because the bank is happy to have them pay the taxes and occupy the house because it's less likely to be burglarized, vandalized, have all the copper stolen out of it. Somebody goes in the back door, down cellar or something, and they steal all the copper pipes out of the house, which, uh, as long as the power is off, you know, that, <laughs> you know they haven't destroyed it, and I can replace the plumbing with PEX tubing quite economically, and you don't have to be a genius or a really experienced professional plumber to... Uh, in PEX tubing. You get the tubing and the fittings and the crimping tool and you can plumb the house pretty easily. Just make sure that the hot and cold water go in the right places. We had a school in this area and they asked me to come in and substitute for a couple of days. So I went in for two or three days. The teacher had to go out for a family emergency. I went out, I had lunch duty, and I had playground duty. So some teacher has to go out on the playground every day, and, and I had playground duty. They got a great big dome of a jungle gym in the, on, in the playground. So I went up, and I sat at the very top of the dome where I could have a good view of everybody, what was going on and everything. And they'd never seen an adult on the jungle gym. You walk right up there. It's not like you have to climb and swing your swing around and stuff. Just walked up and sat on it. Well, this was quite a novelty. And the next thing you know, that jungle gym is covered with kids. Every kid in the playground wanted to get in or under that thing, and I was just telling them stories, you know, true stories about when I was their age. That was a fascinating recess to them. We came back in, and, and uh, all the kids ran into the bathroom and put the hands on the toilet. They crowded right around that toilet and put the hands on the toilet. I said, what are you doing? We're warming our hands. I mean, it's probably not the first time this has happened, but I went in and I put my hand on it, and it was warm. 
It turns out that when they plumbed up the school, they plumbed hot water to the toilets. <laughs> and it had been that way for years, and they were wondering why this particular school had higher energy costs than the other two schools. Hey, folks, swap the pipes at the other end. Your energy costs will go down. Oh, I'd love a duck. You just, it's just good to look at something from a from the perspective of somebody that hasn't seen it, hasn't been there and looks at it from sort of an outside perspective, and you see things that people who walk by it every day don't see. I was in a mill in Canada. I may have mentioned this before, but they were trying to... They had a, a device, a machine in, in the mill, and the pressure was labeled in kilopascals because it came from Europe. So what's kilopascals in, in, in PSI, which is how the rest of the mill ran? Well, this, wasn't, this was before Google. This was back around 1994, which is 22 years ago now. And I was working up there, and I said, well, just a minute. And I ran outdoors, cold, 20 below in Quebec, looked at the sidewall on a tire, and the maximum pressure in the tire is labeled in PSI and KPA, which is kilopascals. Like, had a pocket calculator. I always have a pocket calculator on me, and I found the conversion factor. Went back in, and I said, the conversion factor is this. Wrote it, wrote it down on a piece of wrapper paper. And, and uh, I said, Where'd you find that? It's on the side of a tire. Every tire out in that parking lot is has a pressure in kilopascals and PSI. This is, this is a conversion factor. Divide one by the other, you got it. The mill manager standing there, he says, you think outside the box. I said, oh, it's worse than that. He says, what do you mean? I said, I don't even see the box. It's <laughs> true. You look at things, you just take a step back and look at something that you see every day and think that could be better. My wife uh, needed to use a walker at one point. And she liked to go in the woods and walk around the yard and stuff. And these little walkers that are designed for use in a in a hospital or a nursing home or indoors, they don't, they don't even go well across a rug, much less on a lawn. I made her a walker with 20-inch gardenway tires. These gardenway carts, you know, the, the great big cart for using around the yard for picking up leaves and planting shrubs and have flower pots in them and stuff, you know. And they they got 20-inch diameter tires, about the size of a bicycle tire, and uh, usually have nylon spokes. Well, I took two of those, and uh, made a, a walker with 20-inch tires. Able to get around the yard, and, and uh, it was good. Somebody said, geez, where'd you buy that? I said, I made it. You made it, yeah. You can roll along on uneven ground. You can walk in the woods with it. If you, if you need assistance to keep your balance, you know, that's what you do. You either have canes, or Canadian canes, or crutches, but 
these uh, these walkers do a good job if you keep them on the right surface. So I had that for a while, and now she gets around in a power wheelchair. Made a bunch of modifications to those to make them more efficient. But you've got to look at things and say, look at the possibilities, what can be done. And that's what our transportation is, industry has done. They look at the reason that diesel demand is down is, is lack of demand for goods in our nation. And it's not just the railroads, it's trucks. We're shipping less freight because it's less people are less able to buy stuff. We've got 95 million Americans between the ages of 16 and 65 not working. Some have taken early retirement. They live in a life of leisure. They don't need to work. That's fine. That's a wonderful thing if you've been able to achieve that in life. But some of these people are really scrambling and scratching trying to make a living. They run off the end of their unemployment benefits. Even the ones that got 90 weeks, okay, 90 weeks of unemployment because the mill went down due to foreign competition. They can't they can't produce products as efficiently and economically as Red China can. So we're buying microwave ovens for forty nine ninety five at Walmart made in Red China. And the Red Chinese know what they're doing. They're killing our industry because they know we can't produce microwave ovens as quickly and as efficiently as they can. And they're losing money on every one of them. But they're winning the economic war because the source of federal revenue in our nation is supposed to be tariffs. It's in the Constitution. They get out of your pocket. I, I carry one every day, so it's a, it's a way to settle a lot of arguments and say, hey, it's in the Constitution. This is what they're supposed to be doing, and they're not doing it. So, there's a bunch of uh, photographs in zerohedge.com. You just type in zerohedge, all one word, .com. It's a good site. focuses on economic issues in our economy and what happens to people as a result of our economy. Well, what happens to our economy is a result of people because it's all connected. And rail traffic has plunged in our nation year over year. The first quarter of 2016, rail traffic is down 15%. I'm talking freight now, not passenger rail. Rail has gone down 15%. That means we're buying 15% less stuff or exporting 15% less stuff. That's huge. Now, the 95 million people I mentioned that are not working is three times the population of Canada. That's a lot of people. You know, when you get into big numbers, people's eyes tend to glaze over because, you know, the word billion has become passe. Now we're talking trillions of debt. We supposedly owe, we as American citizens, supposedly owe $15 trillion, no, $19 trillion now 
19 trillion dollars. Baloney. We didn't authorize the debt. We didn't auth- we haven't had a budget in 8 years, a federal budget. They keep passing these continuing resolutions because ah, the people won't care, people don't know. They're watching Dancing with the Stars and American Hero and stuff like that, American Idol rather. And they don't know what's going on. And they're not going to learn it on CBS, ABC, NBC, or in many cases, Fox News. There's a lot of stuff, important issues in our country that are not covered by Fox News because the guy that owns it, that Australian fellow, I can't think of his name right now, but he's buying up media just as fast as he can. And because his shows are popular, he attracts advertisers, which float the boat, and he's getting rich on Fox News and and various newspapers up and down the East Coast. I don't know about the West Coast, but he's uh, getting rich, selling us news, which is very incomplete. Now, I've never, I've never seen them blatantly tell lies like CBS does. They just lie to you, and it's blatant, and it's easily, it's easily uh, refuted. But people read it, and they say, "Well, it was on TV; must be true." Like the Bangor Daily News, well, it's in there, it must be true. And we had a a hearing, had some hearings. Now, before I take off on that tangent, let me get back to the. The economics and the, and the fuel and the demand for, for a minute here. The Baltic Dry Index, which is the cost determined by the cost of, of moving freight, bulk cargo, whether it's corn, oats, soybeans, bulk cargo, iron ore, coal. You know, it's all each one of these items is a reflection on the economy as a whole. And people look at these graphs and they tend to follow each other. Price of coal and the price of corn, for example. People need to create energy and people need to produce food. Most most corn goes into animal food or into ethanol, that contaminant in our fuel. The country says we have to do this to reduce global warming. It is a bald-faced lie. It takes 1.6 gallons of diesel to produce one gallon of ethanol. What? You didn't know that? Common knowledge. Among people that look at these things, I'm an economist. Economics in college. But I'm an amateur economist, simply because I don't get paid to be an economist. I'm just here on one hour a week on Citizen Radio. And citizen-produced radio is a wonderful thing because I don't have anybody breathing down my neck telling me what I can talk about. I can't use profanity on the air, just like ham radio. You can't use profanity on the air. And I am sorely tempted from time to time to do that. can't do that. So the Baltic Dry Index is an index of what it costs to ship Freight. Well, when you own a ship, 
It's not like an airplane that you're going to fly once a month. You turn it off and you park it. When you want to go flying, you check the fuel and kick the tires and go off flying. Today is a beautiful day to go flying. I mean, there's virtually no wind. Clear blue sky. It's just gorgeous, as they say. It's a fine time to go flying, take care of the photographs, ride around, take your nephew flying, whatever. It's, uh, you know, it, but you can't do that with a with a locomotive. And they've got BNSF, Burlington Northern Santa Fe, two railroads that, that merged. And they just call it BNSF, like it's one continuous word. And people who look at freight know these things. So air freight is down 15% in the first quarter of 2016 worldwide. Now, expensive stuff that sells... Uh, You know, that's worth taking, worth uh, moving by air, like watches, okay, wristwatches. You can ship a heck of a lot of wristwatches by air, and it's efficient. If you want to buy a Mac computer with your name engraved in it, or an iPad with your name engraved in it, you can order it, and they'll fly it. They'll engrave it in China and fly it from China, and it'll be in your house two or three days later. Because the iPad is sitting there, and they whole bunch of them. They got the boxes, and they got the iPads, and they're ready. And they said, "Okay, this guy wants Susie on the iPad." It's just because he's got three or four iPads around the house. You want to make sure you're picking up the right one. So this one says Susie. Or you can have, you know, Henry Gruber vice president of so whatever. You can have whatever you want agreed on there, and it'll be there. Or happy retirement, or whatever it is. And it'll be there in three days. So it's efficient to fly those. And there's other bulk stuff that they have to fly. Uh, pumps and stuff. It's a high priority. We want to get it there as soon as possible because the plant is down until we get this pump. So they fly that. But basically, air freight is down 15% in the first quarter of 2016 worldwide. And freight volumes across the world in the largest global markets are down 15% in the first quarter. Because our farmers are competing against farmers in Venezuela and Argentina, South Africa, India, and in the Middle East, we used to get a lot of apricots and and, uh, almonds and things out of the Middle East, but now people are a little nervous about eating stuff that comes out of the Middle East. Just uh, don't have a lot of confidence in stuff that comes out of the Middle East lately. So, total U.S. rail traffic in April plunged 11.8% from a year ago. American Association of Railroads. Barlows of bulk commodities such as coal, oil, grains, and chemicals plummeted 16.1%. These are separate articles. 
for the first 17 weeks this year, total rail freight fell 7.8% from a year. But carload traffic is down 13.3, excuse me, 14.3%. But nothing is increasing in our economy. Some seasonal stuff is cyclical every year, but basically demand is down about 15%, but the prices are going up. A lot going on. The uh, Maine Department of Inland Fisheries and Wildlife has come out and said that uh, they're looking for a 59% increase in what we call doe tags, any deer permits. Remember when they first came out, uh, the second year after they first came out, uh, I was from Rooster County. He was the Fishing and Fish and Wildlife Commissioner. And he said, we got to do what New York does. You know, They have doe tags. It'll improve the deer herd. Well, I lived in New York State. We left Maine. I got a job offer from Georgia Pacific, so I went out to New York State for six years. And we lived out there. Boys went to school out there. They have what they call regents exams and regents diplomas. And these are like honor students. And uh, and then they've got the vast majority is, uh, is average students get a good, valid high school diploma. But a regents diploma, you've you got to be in the top 10%. I think it's a good system. That that portion of it, a lot of things I didn't like out there, it took me four years to get a pistol permit. <laughs> took my wife about six months because she was a teacher. And they say, well, teachers are good people, and they just give you a pistol permit. The other people, we don't know him. He's, he's been around here. We'll just make him wait. And then I became friends with one of the sheriff's deputies. Oh, well, he's a good guy. You give him his pistol after four years. I met that deputy, and he says, you living here in town? I says, yeah, right up on Markham Street. He says, well, you know, you gotta, you got to get your, your plate switched over. Yeah. Supposed to re-register your vehicle within 30 days. I said, well, yeah, but I'm not a resident. What do you mean? I said, the state of of New York has declared me that I am not a resident of New York. What are you talking about? I said, I got it right here. I said, in order to get a resident hunting license, I have to live in this state for six months. Then I can get a resident hunting license. So I'm not a resident in New York State. Legislature has declared that I am not a resident. Just as soon as I get a resident hunting license, I'll get a resident motor vehicle registration. <laughs> Deputy Sheriff sounds like a plan to me. So, <laughs> and I waited six months because it's more expensive out there. Everything's more expensive. If you, uh... but they pay more too. So we enjoyed the time. I can enjoy myself about anywhere. There's a lot of hassles about living out there. Maine has a lot of freedom, and we won't try to hang on to it. We got 
three people right now that are trying to change everything in the state of Maine, and they've been described as a a uh, used-up old hippie from South Carolina, pastry chef from Seattle, and a former governor from Virginia. They're talking about Roxanne, uh, her son who came back from Seattle where he was a pastry chef, and they put him in charge of Elliottsville Plantation Corporation. Somehow his name escapes me at the moment, but anyway, that's the three people. Roxanne just really wants to have a national park in Maine, and she wants to have the first. She's got a foothold. She owns the land, some of it. She's got about 57,000 acres up east of Baxter Park. She's got another thousands of acres over in Elliottsville Plantation, which is over near Moosehead Lake. <clears throat> They're not the same. But the, the Bangor Daily News keeps writing that she's got 80,000-plus acres. Well, she does in Maine, scattered around. She was involved in expanding Acadia National Park illegally because she bought a chunk of ground down in Cutler, which she then turned around and donated to Acadia National Park. And they own it. And this is how they work. The National Park doesn't go out and grab people's land and seize it through eminent domain very often. They do it on a regular basis. And they do do it often. They haven't done it much in Maine because they don't want to get the the local population any, any more irritated than they already are. So some of this stuff appears in the background. It just takes place, and local residents don't realize it, and all of a sudden there's a sign saying there that says, Acadia National Park, you know, you can't do this, you can't do that. There's one down in, uh, down in Bering and Callis and that country. And they've got a national uh, recreation area down there. It's federal ground. They don't talk about it much. I've got pictures that I took back then. They first started putting up the signs. You know, you can't even step off the road into the woods without permission. You have to enter through a gate. Here you've got this miles of of road, but you can't step off the road onto their ground without going up the road and entering through a gate, and then you can go back down to the same spot. They've backed off a little bit on the signs. The rules are still the same, but the signs uh, are taken down because people were publishing pictures of these signs. And uh, We had a hearing in East Millinocket this week where the director of the National Park Service came up at the invitation of Angus King. You remember Angus, the one that that tried to get the compact established in the state of Maine. C-O-M-P-A-C-T. Citizens owning Maine property are considered trespassing. Well, they bought a bunch of land up along the road going into uh, Grand Lake Matagamon. Now, 
the north half of the shoreline of Grand Lake Matagammon belonged to the Boy Scouts of America. And they had, it was a high adventure area. They'd go they'd canoe down the West Branch. <laughs> I was going down the West Branch with my best friend and his family, our family, four canoes going down the West Branch. And all of a sudden I heard this ruckus coming. I was fishing. I stopped at a, at, uh, a good deep pool to fish. And there's a cold stream running in there. And big trout like to be in cool water. And I was fishing, I was using a muddler minnow. And I caught a couple of small trout, put them back. And I, all of a sudden I hear this ruckus coming, banging and clanging. And there's a Boy Scout troop coming down through in aluminum canoes. And they're having a water fight, trying to throw buckets of water at each other. The kid in the lead, lead canoe had a Zebco fishing reel on his little short stubby rod, and he had a daredevil about six or eight inches long, a giant daredevil with with hooks best suited for striper fishing. And he wound back and he heaved that daredevil about 150, 200 feet across that pool or two or out. That's, he got about two turns of the reel and wham! Giant brook trout, about three and a half pounds, hit that daredevil. Never seen anything like it in his life and neither had I for that matter. And that trout jumped all over the place, and that kid caught that three-and-a-half-pound brook trout on that giant daredevil. I says, well, that's it. Here I am, fishing with muddler minnows. <laughs> Wasn't doing very well at all, and that kid caught that giant brook trout on that daredevil. Biggest daredevil I ever saw in my life. I says, well, that's it. I'm done for today. They continued going down through, throwing buckets of water at each other, and they're having a fine time, those girls. Never been canoeing any of them. At least they didn't wind up in the same campsite as I did. <laughs> but they had a good time. And the high adventure area got kids out into the, into the wilds of Maine. Hope they had plenty of bug dope. But it was a good thing, and gradually it declined. Membership of scouts is declining. There's a whole lot of things to do. Kids sit there and text each other on their iPhones. The world is changing, and not so much for the good. But we're going to get more deer permits this fall. They're estimating an increase of 59% over last year, simply because of weather. We had an easy winter. Poor snowmobile season, but it was easy on the deer. And there's a fine fawn crop because when the when the does can, there are does running around. I've heard several reports from local people, does with triplets this year. So if those fawns can reach 75 pounds live weight, they're pretty well guaranteed to survive next winter. But if they only get up to about 45 pounds or 50 pounds live weight. They have a poor chance of surviving the winter next winter. You get two winters like this, and and uh, two bad winters, and your your population is going to plummet. Two good winters, and your population is going to explode. Martin was the guy's name, the first fishing game commissioner to be 
uh, to institute a DOTAG program in Maine. This was back around 1984-85, 30 years ago. Then we had a couple of easy winters. And there's a place in the woods on top of a, a ridge looking to <clears throat> soft woods on the right, soft woods on the on the left, and a a good view down through mixed growth. Good place to have a deer stand. And somebody took an old tractor seat and nailed it to a stump. You could sit right on that tractor seat, the best one of the best deer stands I ever saw. You sit right on that tractor seat and it's the seat was covered with leaves and pine needles, and I brushed it off, and I just happened to cross it. And I think the guy who put it there uh, moved away, didn't come up deer hunting anymore. I don't know if he was a local person or somebody from away that just came up to a deer camp, but I used that. I never saw another person hunting there. But uh, I watched the great... Martin doe parade go by. There's just lots of does, and I didn't <clears throat> didn't get a buck that year. <laughs> and I had a whole herd of deer come running up through. There must have been ten of them, no bucks. And and uh, they ran across the road. Just an old, actually just an old wood road. No, hadn't been graded in years. And they ran down into a swamp where there's a bunch of deer already standing there. And they're all blowing and snorting and blatting at each other. You know, what do you know? What's all what's this ruckus all about? This is our swamp. <laughs> they just, there must have been 15 or 20 deer in that one bunch, and they're all blatting at each other. No bucks. Bunch of does having a hen party. So, and I, you know, it stabilized, but. The deer population is affected by weather, primarily. Not so much by hunting, because when the opportunity is higher, you get more deer. When the opportunity is lower due to the previous winter's weather, you get fewer deer. And Jerry Levine was the best deer biologist in my lifetime, and that's a long time. He's out on his own doing some consulting, and he's making a war on the coyotes. The, uh, he was forced out of the Department of Inland Fisheries and Wildlife because he pointed the fickle finger of fate at coyotes. We had a population explosion of coyotes, and that follows a couple of good deer winters. That's easy winters. Well... The number of pups that a, that a, a bitch coyote drops is dependent on on food and habitat. It's the same with deer. You know, when you have got a good deer year, then then uh, there's a lot of lot of fawn production. Well, the coyotes get their share of those fawns, and then next year the female coyote drops more pups, and they have a pretty good-sized pack of coyotes. Now, in this area, uh, we declared war on them. The northern Penobscot 
Conservation Association. It's a new group, only about five years old. But we run a coyote contest. It costs you 20 bucks to enter the contest. And a whole bunch of people join. Many people join simply to support the effort. They don't actually hunt coyotes. If they see a coyote during deer season, they'll sure they'll sure try to shoot the coyote. But most most of the people are just casual coyote hunters. They'll put some bait out and watch the bait from time to time. They don't really understand the habits of the coyote. And then there's people who really go at it seriously. One guy last winter shot 38 coyotes in the Springfield Prentice area. 38. Well, if they're half, and would they record the weight and the sex of each one? Well, just if you assume for a moment that half of them were females, well, that's 19 females that would drop an average of eight pups. That's a lot of coyotes that aren't killing deer. But one deer, one coyote will kill 30 deer to survive a year. So if you multiply it out, this guy got 38 coyotes times three, call it 40 times three is 120. So that's no, 40 times 30 is 1,200. 1,200 deer. This large pack of coyotes that he that he saved. And there's a lot of deer. A lot of places. That they had weighing stations. This is not confined to the Lincoln area. This is northern Penobscot is northern Penobscot. It's, it's everything above Bangor, essentially. So they weigh these coyotes, and there's a chart at Smith's store in Springfield hanging on the wall shows who got how many coyotes last winter. The biggest, the smallest, the, well, they don't, you don't record the smallest, but it's on there if you hunt for it. And they have four prizes, and the people join this thing, and they'll raise $3,000 or something. So you've got $750 for each of the four winners. The biggest male, biggest female, most coyotes, and a, a one drawing for a random drawing. So you've got a four people that are going to get $750 each. Now, it's possible for one person to get the biggest male, the biggest female, and the most. This guy got the, got the most, I'm for sure. And I honestly don't know if he got any more of the prizes, but it's worthwhile to somebody to go out and actively pursue these. I saw a picture several years ago of the fire station at Indian Township, and they had they must have had fifty coyotes hanging up on on the wall there, frozen solid. They went on a war path against coyotes down there and for several years the country east of Route 1, from Route 1 to the Canadian border in Topsfield, Waite 
how much uh, Indian Township, Princeton, all the way down to Baileyville, that whole country had poor hunting because they they had when the when the bill was going out and they were looking at probably shutting down the mill in Woodland. They cut an awful lot of wood over there, east of Route 1 to the Canadian border. They did a maximum harvest. It's not a clear cut. You know, you can't do clear cuts in huge areas. But the definition of a clear cut is relatively easy on the on the woods business because you have to have so many stems per acre of of wood left behind. And you stand there, and you can look a half a mile out through there. <laughs> There's not a lot of cover for deer. And they do, they're supposed to leave the deer yards, but the state uh, has been neglectful. They declare a deer yard. Twenty years later, deer don't go there for shelter in the wintertime. So there's a subdivision in Prentice called Sam Row Ridge. And a corporation went in. They bought a huge amount of acreage in there, thousands of acres. And they created 153 lots, all of them 40 acres or more. So multiply that out. That's 6,000 acres. And many of the lots are 55, 60 acres. There's one lot in there. It's 130 acres. But Patent Corporation was the outfit that did that. And Lurk was going high, white, and handsome, so they had made him establish a bunch of deer yards in there and various other initiatives that limited what people can do with their property. And they placed, put the deer yards on the subdivision approval, and it's recorded in the Registry of Deeds that is a deer yard. Well, there are places in Maine that have deer yards that have been there for many, many years. But in this particular situation, the deer don't use those deer yards anymore because there are better deer yards, and they move around. And somebody will go in and do a harvest, and they'll move over to the next lot next year, and the deer are still in the area, but they're not using what's on the map as deer yards. And you buy that lot, you know, you've got a lot that two-thirds of it might be deer yard habitat. Well, you better know that. And the guy you're dealing with is the owner or the agent that's selling it for the owner. needs to know these things. You need to know that two-thirds of the property you're buying is not available for you to put a camp on, despite the fact there is no deer yard there. But down in Bangor, in the Registry of Deeds, it's a deer yard. And it's like the environmentalists figured it's always going to be a deer yard. Well, everything comes to an end. I got a beech tree on my property, big old beech. It should have been cut before I bought the property. I don't cut a lot of wood. I just cut enough to pay the taxes on that piece. I've got a piece of old growth that has never been cut. Never, ever. No stumps. 
And when a tree loses out on competition for sunlight and nutrition, and the tree dies of old age, I'll cut that tree for firewood because it's going to fall down and damage younger trees. So I don't cut a lot of wood. It's enough to keep the wood stove fired up in the summertime. Visitors like to have a fire, even if it's 90 degrees out. They still want to see a fire. Well, it makes them happy, and we'll have a fire. We'll have the doors open, the windows open. There's a fire in the fireplace so they can look at the flames. That's okay. It's just part of being at camp. But the beech tree I was referring to is uh, in lots of hollow places, and there's a pair of pileated woodpeckers, also called pileated woodpeckers, same bird. I don't know which of the two pronunciations is correct, because I hear both. I always call them pileated woodpeckers. That's what the people around, around me call them. But I've heard foresters and game wardens refer them to as pileated woodpeckers. Maybe they're correct. Neither one offends me. But there's a nesting pair there that's been there for six or eight years in the time that I've discovered it. And I learned something this week. I try to learn something every day. I was talking with a lifelong outdoorsman, and he's got a nesting pair of pileated woodpeckers on his property. And this year, the parents came back, and a young one from last year is not fully grown. He's two-thirds grown. And his plumage is is not as as uh, well defined as as a mature pileated woodpecker. It's just like an eagle doesn't get a white head until he's three years old. Sometimes two years old if he's got a really good nutrition. But mostly three years old, he gets a white head. He's a real official American bald eagle. Well, these pileated woodpeckers uh, are. Uh, I did not know that they sometimes have a young one stay with the parents until, until the following year. Never never heard of that before. But there's an example where it did happen. There's a, a state initiative to find Maine's biggest trees, and they do this every decade or so. And this is the year. And I took a forestry class designed for landowners. One, to get myself out there, see people can see me. I'm not a forester, but I do know a little bit about land, having been in this business for 27 years. So, and it just updates me on on the new rules and stuff, and it's always good to have. So we, uh, learned a little bit about forestry and uh, wood practices. It's a good class. But the biggest tree initiative is out again. This is the 10th year, so. So I picked up a couple of applications. I have a couple of candidates for the biggest tree in Maine, for every species. And they're popple. And uh, out west they call them aspens. Same tree. You got a soft-tooth poplar and a regular poplar in Maine. And I had a cut one that was killed by lightning, and as the old-timers say, it failed to prosper. And when I cut the stump off level with the ground, I had a forester come in 
and cut the tree, my next-door neighbor, because I didn't have a chainsaw big enough to cut the tree. So he came and cut it for me, and I gave him the wood. He took it over to Gardner's over in over in uh, Chester. He says, don't you ever bring anything like that in here again. He had three logs on his on his uh, straight job pulp truck. They didn't have a saw that could handle it. They had to split the logs and out the saw. And when I cut the, the stump off at ground level, I laid a crowbar across the stump. My crowbar is a five-foot crowbar, and it was 62 inches across the stump. Counted the rings, and I was 104 years old. And uh, if you know me, I'd be happy to show you some of those others that I've got there. They, I've got, they're in a grove, and there's 40 or 50 feet up to the first limb on these trees. Not a lot of those around the state of Maine. So, we've run out the time for the Northern Maine Landman Show today. Covered a little bit of everything from economics nationally. And many indicators are down 15%. But they don't want to say the word recession in an election year. So this has been the Northern Maine Landman Show on the Constitutional Radio Network, the Conscious of Maine. Broadcast in Maine on WXME, 780 AM in Monticello, 1700 AM in Lewiston, 88.1 FM in Orono and Brewer, 96.5 FM in, excuse me, Orono and Westbrook, and 96.5 FM in Brewer and Bangor, Maine. May 21, 2016. I think we're pretty safe planting anything you want to plant now. But uh, keep our fingers crossed we don't have a frost because the apples and the cherries are blossoming. And if we have a frost, we're going to lose part of our apple crop. So be out there. Be safe. God bless. Wise men follow him. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.